0: I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories, and song, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present, We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. You're listening to Race Matters. This is a show made by people of colour speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I am Sharika Halaludin. Woman, life, freedom. These are the words decried as protests have erupted in Iran for nearly five weeks now, following the death of young Kurdish woman Gina Mesa Amini, and now with countless more lives lost of protesters, including 23 children at the time of recording this. A feminist revolution. People across unexpected corners of Iran's social setting are forming a coalition against the authority of theocracy that's been in rule in the guise of a brutal patriarch. You've likely seen protest videos swarming on your social media feed alongside the violent crackdown of the regime trying to stifle these peaceful protests. Many women are cutting their hair in an act of mourning and defiance, a pre-Islamic symbolic act of grief rooted in ethnicities, including within Kurdish communities, where the slogan, woman, life, freedom, finds its beginnings. Global solidarity protests for Iran have also erupted in over 150 cities, including here. And despite an internet blackout in the country, images and videos are being shared, unveiling truths about a regime and the courage of a protest movement being helmed by women, non-binary and queer folk. It's a lot to take in and there's been ongoing demands for more visibility of this movement and truth sharing. So. Today on the show, you're going to hear from Iranian photographer Hoda Afshar, who was generous enough to speak to me about the ongoing uprisings in Iran, her home, about what feminist and anti-imperial resistance means in this context, and the Western media's continued neglect in sharing the nuance of this movement and distilling the broader movements for autonomy and expression in Islam. Hoda Afshar was born in Tehran, Iran, and is now based in Nam. Hodo began her career as a documentary photographer in Iran in 2005 and when she moved here, she continued to practice as a visual artist whilst lecturing in photography and fine art. Her work often explores the nature and possibilities of documentary image making, working across photography and moving image and has long considered the representation of gender, marginality and displacement. As someone who has disrupted a visual form through her art making, she's been using her platforms to bring visibility and truth to this moment, casting her in exile along with many folk in the diaspora. You'll want to stick around to hear our chat and a note that there is some distressing things that she does mention, but it does bring importance to the complexity of the situation.
1: Zan, Zendigi, Azadi, woman, life, freedom. I
0: was told to stay quiet In a world full of noise I was told to walk silent In a war of wicked marches In this world I remain
1: the country that I used to call home and I still call home, you know. Um, I do think that um, we all have roots in the places that we're born in. And if you migrate, it's like like an ivy plant. You place roots elsewhere as well, but the main root is in the homeland. And if you cut the roots uh, the entire plant, you know, uh, dies. Uh, doesn't matter how many roots you placed elsewhere. So, uh, Iran has always been my home country and remains as my home country. And um, yeah, it's just I'm not the only one. The millions um, are exiled. It's a form of forced exile after the revolution in Iran. So many of us uh, had no choice but to leave the country and uh, live in diaspora. And with what's happening at the moment in Iran and witnessing it from afar, um, all these emotions are, uh, you know, thrown between grief and hope and, you know, the guilt and regret of not being able to be there to march with the people and, our siblings and hand in hand and fight with them so yeah it's been quite a difficult five weeks I have to say and I'm not the only one um, I've been speaking to so many of my uh, friends in diaspora as you put it and we're all going through very similar emotions at the moment.
0: I want to bring us more into that moment that you've been alluding to Um, Anti-government feminist protests have moved into almost their fourth week. Can you talk about the broadening scope of the protest and what you feel people should be paying attention to?
1: This is like the first feminist revolution in the world happening. And it was... um, an uprising at the beginning and in fact it's the fifth week of the uprisings and it's the longest protests since the beginning of the revolution in 1979 um and it's now you know um it's now a revolution in the making it's in the sh- uh, shaping and it's happening it's shifted to that it's uh to give you a quick debrief of uh, For the past 43 years, a theocratic regime that calls itself the Islamic Republic of Iran has um, in some ways co-opted and abused the spiritual faith, to oppress the Iranian people, and especially women and queer community and racial minorities. And just over a month ago, they murdered a young Kurdish-Iranian woman, a 22-year-old, for not wearing her hijab properly. And um, it's the morality police in Iran that has the job of... um, you know, uh, controlling the hijab and um, how people, people behave, especially women, uh, in public. So this brutal uh, event um, after decades of similar atrocities, I have to say four decades of it, has um, sparked a wave of social disobedience in the country uh, by a furious population that is already fed up Uh, with you know uh, economical pressure and oppressions of this um, system that uh, in some ways I have to say that this government has taken a country um, uh, hostage in their own you know in their own land Um, and this nationwide protests and uprisings have been led predominantly by young women, young, brave women. And now schoolgirls as young as 14 have also joined them in the revolution and they're cutting their hairs and burning their uh, hijabs on the streets, which is absolutely brave. And as someone who was born and raised there and lived under the oppression of this violent system, I know what it takes, the level of courage for people to stand in the face of um, the tyranny and doing what they're doing. And uh, I just have to make clear that these people are not asking for reforms. They they want nothing less than the end of this theocratic regime. And um, what's quite fascinating and never happened before is that uh, people across all sectors of the society, women, men, old young religious, non-religious and members of the, even members of the police and military have been joining these women in solidarity. Imagine like uh, we've never seen this that men die, for women's rights. And they're at the forefront, holding their hands and fighting. And this has um, shaken this system to the core. And of course, predictably, they're responding to it with increased violence and repression, and assault and arresting and murdering protesters uh, who have no arms, basically. They, they, they're fighting this system with empty hands. And now, um, you know, all this footage is coming out of the country and the information about how they're killing children. And they're killing children as young as 14, uh, 12, 16, uh, 17. And, um, and they also shut down the internet from the beginning of the uprising in hope of stopping disinformation from spreading.
0: Yeah, absolutely right in how it, it takes such courage despite the very violent crackdown and brutality what to you does this type of coalition of all these different groups working together represent in spite of and in the face of a theocratic regime what does this shift represent
1: the th- the thing is that uh one of the main strategies of this government in the past four decades been to divide people in groups and place them against one another and uh you know, like um, a form of hidden violence, basically on top of all the visible violence that they uh, imposed on the pe- on people. And, you know, like they kind of injected it into the minds of the society that one group is against the other. And they just like made us believe that, you know, Kurdish people are separationists. They want to become independent and like divide the, uh, the country and the nation into smaller, you know, uh, countries and so it kind of um, uh, the Kurdish people, Baluchis, uh, uh, Arab minorities, um, plus, you know, the oppression of women, the uh, culture of, you know, a hate for women in the country and queer community. We can't even like go there. Um, so for the first time, seeing all these people uniting together and sharing one voice together and sending messages of solidarity across and sharing this message to one another that we are only in this fight together over one um, goal and that is to take down this regime. Uh, Just to give you like, I think an example of um, a clearer example, something that is more tangible for your audience to imagine. Like I think every single Iranian who watch Handmaid's Tale like it really shook us because this is exactly what happened in Iran. Like the country overnight was gotten from, you know, a secular monarchy um, in 1979 into um, um, an extremist Islamic institution that used Islam as a way of oppressing people. It's just like political Islam, not um, not the Islam that, you know, as a religion that we all know. Um, So, like, it's as horrific as uh, what you see in that series, basically. Um, I think for uh, for anyone who watched that, it's really hard to imagine a day that, for example, in Australia, something like that happens. But that's exactly what, what happened there. Um, It started with an intellectual revolution by the students in the country who were calling for independence of the country in oil and gas. They were calling for the government to stop selling our natural resources to America and Europe for so cheap. And that's why America, France and the UK got involved and they influenced the revolution. They threw a religious leader. Basically, he arrived by Air France in Iran he was educated in France and was brought to Iran to turn the country from the monarchy into into what you see today
0: i want to touch on some of the specifics of what you're speaking through and bring up anti-imperial feminism specifically what it means for women queer you know non-binary and trans people risking it all against the violence of a state-sponsored religious patriarchy, can you speak to the significance and transformation of having women and gender non-conforming people leading this moment?
1: I have to say that this has been very hard for, for me to watch as I come like, really shocked by the overall silence, especially from the lefties, from the progressive community, uh, from the people that I always considered as comrades like it's quite I'm still trying to fathom what's happening because the majority of the intersectional feminists and queer community have been silent on this although like we have we've had only the social media as a platform because the media is clearly silent on it largely it's been like after weeks of the protests in Iran and the Iranian population outside who've been like spreading the word and like basically writing to the media um, and different you know like uh, people to ask for their support and solidarity. Um, Finally it's getting a little bit of coverage here and there in between other news Um, but you know when you compare what's happening now as something that ticks all the boxes (laughs) of you know what we all been fighting for as like a community that fights for you know human rights and social justice. I see most of these so- social justice warriors on social media uh, remaining silent on this, and this hierarchy of sympathy is something that I wanted to point out and to raise it with the audience that this is um, this may not be as significant to them to even like use their social media platforms to share something, but. Even the smallest act of solidarity at the moment from the community is um, very uh, important for people who are fighting there because we have nothing else. Uh, The government shut down internet and information. The media and the world leaders are trying to ignore what's happening there for whatever political purposes that is behind it. Um, The academia is silent on it and also the progressive community so it's just um yeah I'm still puzzled to be honest it has um caused me some sort of an existential crisis thinking what's going on and why people are not um raising the uh, voice about this because you know what we saw after what happened in Ukraine or what we saw during Black Lives Matter like as someone who's been actively involved in supporting you know, the voices of the people who are in need of it, um, I'm actually quite uh, confused why this revolution is not taking the attention, um, getting the attention that it requires at this time and moment. I assume and I understand that a lot of uh, the silence is... Because of the confusion that this uprising is um, causing for people, because so many people may think that because there's uh, a fight against, you know, a religious uh, system, this may um, sound Islamophobic. While, like, you know, a lot of Muslim women are backing this up in the country. Muslim women are fighting for uh, uh, women's rights in the country with those who are against the mandatory hijab. This is against. Uh, the mandatory hijab, as I said, it's about the right to choose. It's about the, you know, bodily autonomy. It's about uh, much, much bigger struggles that we've had over the past 40 years or so, which is, um, you know, like the oppression of women um, on, on, you know, on a very larger scale, which goes back to a broader politics of the world that historically has, like, uh, controlling your land and country doesn't matter across all geographies and religions has always meant to control the bodies of their women and if you look at the history of you know uh colonization specifically it shows how it goes hand in hand like to occupy a land first means to occupy the bodies of their women so the body of the woman has always been historically used as a battleground and um What's happening in Iran has a history of longer than 100 years, I have to say. Before that, uh, there was a system in place that wanted to unveil those who wanted to wear hijab. And because uh, the uh, king of the time, wanted to westernize Iran. So they were kind of trying to force women to remove their hijab. And now um, this new, like the, the current government has forced them into hijab. So it's it's about like the freedom for the bodies of women to and their right to choose. That's why I think people are confused about it and confuse it with um, Islamophobia. I think
0: that kind of leads me to my next question, on solidarity and there have been some really performative and public displays of solidarity as women cut their hair in support of the Iranian women's movement. How do you gauge what meaningful and intersectional solidarity looks like beyond these gestures?
1: In terms of solidarity, I think what's important for us to all understand is that we don't need to have a shared experience with someone or a cause to, to feel compassionate towards them or just uh, uh, express solidarity with them. In fact, solidarity is the opposite, is the acknowledgement, uh, acknowledgement of the fact that you may never ever experience what's happening to certain communities and people and acknowledging your privilege and acknowledging that what's happening is wrong and should never happen and stand in solidarity with those people that you do not share the same experience with, you know? And, um, you know, what I also wanted to add to this was that the images that we're seeing coming out of Iran and how these young women are... Fighting, it will resonate for generations to come and uh, they will become fuel for further struggles in the world. And uh, we are, um, you know, it's going to go beyond our borders and it will be remembered by the history. It's, um, you know, uh, we're looking at a dying patriarchy and uh, we're looking at how women are just you know, (laughs) uh, bravely standing against it. And um, there's so much to learn from it. There's so much, um, you know, pain, but also inspiration that is coming uh, uh, to us through these images. So, uh, yeah, I think this is something that... um, Affects all of us, and it's for all of us uh, in this world together, and it will change the future of women across the world. That's why it's really important for all of us to engage with it at this particular time. این اقتصاد دستوری برای این هوای آلوده برای ولیست شده رخت فرسوده برای پیروز و اعتمال اننگ برای سگ های بیگوناه ممنوع برای،
0: I would like to turn briefly, I guess, to those moments of inspiration and fervour and speak to your art practice and um, flourishing art that has long existed in Iran or with artists in exile. Why do you think culture and artistic practices are sometimes
1: seen as a threat to governmental control? I think right now, if you're asking me how I'm feeling, I have um in moments like this, I've been talking to lots of friends about it, that all of a sudden everything else lo- loses its meaning to me. Like, and I feel, I've been feeling quite, um, you know, desperate in, in 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 what I mean by that is that, like, not being able to do anything. And I'm sure this is, like, food for thought in the future. And this is something that I do want to respond to and make work about. But at the moment, it's just, like, the moments of observation and critical thinking and reflection. And uh, my focus at the moment is, like, basically to do whatever I can to help from afar, which is raising awareness, sharing the message and reaching out to, you know, to the government and those that I can potentially, like, get the, get my people's voice heard through. And um, but... In terms of my practice, I think I've always looked at different ways of uh, creating a more balance in the world of images, as like based on what I said before, that like to include what uh, has remained invisible or has um, never been given the privilege to be seen or heard. So, That's why I think at the moment this activism of sharing the message and news is more important probably than uh, right now in this uh, moment is more important than creating art because that's what the society needs desperately and um, I'm focusing on that and I'm sure it will fit into my art practice future projects um, um, in the future when I start making work again. Yeah,
0: This is I guess like a slight pivot and I guess wanting to – turn to the worlds that we want to build that are more just and equitable um i've resonated a lot with the words and images you've shared in the past on islam of something that you've inherited and i'm curious if you've like reconciled a version of faith or spirituality that remains t- true to your political values and how what informs your framework of freedom and justice?
1: I think as you said, I've long um, tried to voice uh, or criticize the way that Islam has been viewed, um, or is viewed in the West. and um or also like, try to, um, you know, Make clear that there's a lot more complexity in the experiences of people from the Islamic world because our identity, uh, our identities are reduced to, you know, uh, like the veil as a symbol of oppression and Islam as a barbaric, um, uh, you know, religion and uh, culture, which is um, absolutely false, you know, and that's why there's it. It kind of feeds into what we were talking about before, like the confusion that exists in the mind of the people who are, you know, um, silent at the moment because they think it's Islamophobic to talk about what's happening in Iran is because they see all of us as, like, identical to one another. The the Islamic world, the imaginary geography of the Middle East is so vast with such diverse experiences and um, cultures that, like, the struggle that we are facing today is because that complexity has never been shared or talked about hardly been shared or talked about uh the power of the media to suppress it or go against whatever that the you know academics and artists have been trying to do is a lot more like the the way that they can manipulate our experiences and histories so um I I think it's really important to keep talking about these issues. To um and now, like, what I'm seeing is happening in Iran, the new generation in Iran that is, like, the 20-year-olds, 18-year-olds who are fighting at the forefront of this, they're so advanced in their thinking, and it's just because of the access that we have to internet and technology, it's because of what we are exposed now. You know, that that's why it's, like, really unique in form and shape what's happening in there, because it's a revolution based on, you know, like, knowledge and... Um people are aware of what they uh, aware of their rights now, and they want to get it. And um, you know it's it's going to change how the government's rule also in the future based on what we're seeing here.
0: In your own art practice, you've long explored those possibilities of documentary image making and archiving, specifically in relation to gender, marginality and displacement. How are you understanding your practice in relation to moments of crises and uprising?
1: It's mostly because I think they do recognise the power of beauty, the power of art and the power of images. In some ways, historically, um, you know, or what we know about history is what remains from different, you know, historical periods in the form of art and documentation, literature, poetry, painting, or like, in fact, uh, visual art was created from the beginning to document the stories of, you know, um people and that's how like the, the desire to preserve time and history and events and even like mummies in for example egypt like that's where it all started like uh looking at how the possibility of preserving the presence or existence of humans in this world and gradually it you know, found different forms and shapes to record. And and that's what, um, you know, these systems are scared of because they know the power of it and they know that that, uh, that's the only thing that will remain. And that's why when you, for example, look at, um, you know, the historical paintings, and it always puzzles us when we go to the museums and we're like, where are the black people? Where are the Asians? You know, like, uh, where are all these other races? Why? They're all white people because that normalized the white body to the world. That's just became the predominant language of speaking about humans and their experiences in this world. And that's what why what we're doing now, which is like creating a counter narrative, is really important because uh, we're bringing you know the previously excluded bodies back into the realm of history and images.